What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and we are the world's reigning heavyweight champion in geek talk on the internet. Uh, first off, I just want to give a big shout out to our uh, house band, Reign of Zayas, who just debuted with their new singer last week, and I hear he kicks ass, so way to go, guys. Joining me this week is the creator of Snug Comics, Todd Tochioka. How you doing there, Todd? Good, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. First off, let me just say real quick, the way we were put in touch with each other was um, the Unwritable Rants host slash producer person who is behind the scenes on the Unwritable Rant for Juliet Miranda contacted me and said that she was going to be in a comic book that you were working on. Uh, and I thought the idea sounded too cool to pass up. So before we take too big a bite out of your company... Let's talk about the story that's coming up called Kindred Homecomings that Juliet, uh, Juliet Miranda, the host of The Unwritable Rant, and Jamie Bernadette, actress, uh, whose likenesses are going to be starring in the, that story. Cool. Yes. Um, first of all, I'd like to give a shout-out to David and Juliet over there at The Unwritable Rant podcast, um, which is one of the shows that I listen to during the day when I'm working. And uh, I just loved the chemistry that she would just literally ooze through the earphones. I'm like, oh my gosh, this this woman has such a strong personality. This is great. And I, uh, one of the characters that was in this uh, Kindred Homecomings series, I uh, just immediately thought of her in this role. Um, and so I reached out to her via Twitter and asked if she would like to be involved in this project by just lending her likeness and some of her catchphrases uh, to this character, and um, they've been on board ever since. It's really been an awesome collaboration. Well, that's really cool. You know, um, I don't know if, if anybody remembers or uh, cares, but Juliet has actually been on an episode of Geekish Cast, and I and I just lost my, my sound there, but it was, she was actually on an episode with uh, Juliet Miranda herself and uh Daniel Swinson, an author who were both uh, Flash Gordon fans, I had them come on an episode so we could talk about Flash Gordon last summer. <laughs> that sounds really entertaining. Yeah. I've got to go back and check that one out. I, if, if I remember correctly, it was episode 88. Awesome. Episode yeah. 88. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Juliet uh, and and David, her producer, have been good friends to uh, the Geekish cast, so anytime I can help get word out about a project they're even partially involved in, I am more than happy to do it. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm almost reinvigorated kind of in doing indie comics um, because of the motivation that uh, Julia and David and Ray over at the Naked Porch have really um, just kind of just 
exploded out of the gates with it's um, really cool to see so much support and also um, definitely having Jamie Bernadette on board was um, something that I never thought would be possible. I just happened to kind of start following her on Twitter as a local talent um, because I was thinking like, well, it would be really cool to include a an, an actress or a local actor um, who's sort of been working hard on the scene here in LA um, in this comic project and therefore maybe they would um, have some kind of a product to market um, at the sci-fi shows that they sat at. Um, and when Jamie decided that she would be on board too, then um, I kind of realized that, that this project was going to be a lot more fun than most of the other things that I've done as a, as an indie creator. That's cool. Well, real quick here, let's um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Kindred Homecomings, which is the story that Juliet and Jamie Bernadette are both, um, their likenesses are going to be in. Um, but tell me a little bit what... Let me see if I can do this without affecting anything legally. Uh, Kindred Homecoming is sort of based on an older movie, in a way, sort of, kind of. Um, so what made you, were you a big fan of Kindred, or why did you th why did you come up with an idea to continue that sort of story? Um, the original Kindred movie, which came out in 1987, is such a, a train wreck, uh, but such a great concept, and... Um, I remember I must have been like uh, 16 at the time when they started soliciting for that film. And um, it was such a disappointment and so terrible, but so charming and um, just left an imprint on my mind. It's one of those just horrible B films that you'll never see again, but um, you really have high hopes for it, if that makes sense. Um, and it left so much open that um, I felt like originally I wanted to sort of do a reboot with it, but um, due to legal issues, I felt that that would probably not be a very wise decision. But um, this story, Kindred Homecomings, is technically not even based on the original story, but the fans of the first movie will definitely understand and get some of the references that are in the that's in the dialogue yeah i believe you call that an homage i believe where cool, it's then it is an homage project yeah where it's not directly related but if you if you kind of blur your eyes a little bit you'll see all the, the the straight lines from point a's to point b's yes exactly yeah um so tell me a little bit here i mean you've got quite a few comics going on at your uh website snugcomics.com what is your background with comics how did you first fall in love with comics when did you start wanting to make comics give me a little bit about young todd and his love for comic books i think my love for comics really um came from do you remember um jeremy when the sears stores at the malls kind of had like that five pack or something thing? Yeah, and they would like hand out little like comic books to the kids and stuff like that. Do you remember that? Vaguely, yes, I do. Yeah, I I remember getting like all these small sized comic books, mini sized books like Tom and Jerry and Lost in Space and um, things like I think it maybe a Pink Panther or something like that. And um, just to see cartoons 
on paper that was that was really cool you know mm -hmm. so um i don't think i experienced the whole falling in love with comics again until i was maybe like four or five and um i had been given a swamp thing comic book and um yeah that that kind of really just made me fall in love with the whole medium again and um i didn't go through a superhero phase until um about 1986-ish when i really tried to um well do my best to understand dark knight and yeah, i was gonna say Watchmen. that was that was the heyday era of the adult superhero comics right then because yeah. of those two books you mentioned and honestly um jeremy i was like 15 at the time and just didn't quite get it but you know read it and tried to do my best to understand it but it also made me kind of fall in love with superhero indie comic books and um i really got into barry blair's samurai and neil adams armor and megalith what he was doing over at continuity comics oh yeah um and then unfortunately i didn't really go through a whole big marvel and dc buzz uh superhero wise until um the Batman movie came out in 1989, and Jim Lee was doing X-Men um, for Marvel at that time, and I kind of looked at that. But before that, my experience with Marvel and DC was, uh, DC-wise, was looking at House of Mystery, Ghosts, and Witching Hour. I loved those kinds of books because of uh, falling in love with Swamp Thing. And then Marvel, um, I just kind of followed their movie adaptations. I loved the Star Wars comic books they did and Battlestar Galactica and uh rom and micronauts the licensed things they did i really didn't get their superheroes until much later uh yeah well let me see this this is going to put you around my age um because you got to remember the the rebirth of the superheroes wasn't until the mid 60s really in comic books so horror comics were still kind of a bigger deal like for me uh was it the house of dracula was that the marvel one Okay. But that was one I remember seeing when I was young, and it just like Tomb of Dracula. Or something Tomb of that. Dracula. There we go, and it was just one that caught me. But the first one I remember looking at was Ghost Rider, and oh, I, wow. I actually remember the issue that stands out in my memory is the one where like Jesus like pops in to say hello, you know? Oh, that's crazy, yeah. Ghost Rider. Um, well, yeah, but not a lot of what you do at Snug Comics. You don't really do a lot of superhero stuff yourself, right? Uh, I don't, and uh, I wish I kind of knew more about the um, about the art form of writing the superhero mythos successfully. Um, mm -hmm. One of the first books that um, I actually published as a physical book uh, back in 2010 was for um, HCMP's Pink Power, um, which is they've gone on to. Uh, do some really cool stuff, and Zen is now lettering, I think, for um, Aspen full-time. Oh, cool. But um, that was my first real look into, okay, so how are you creating your own superhero mythos from the ground up, um, which was kind of really cool, um, and also was earlier, like at that time, was um, involved with... Uh, Rob Van Dam's project called Twisted Perceptions was to watch him kind of develop his superhero um, or his anti-hero kind of character from the ground up was uh, was pretty cool um, because superheroes for me really were just kind of a 
a fun like buzz, you know, that I'd look at once in a while. But really, I've always been into the Indian horror. Um, if I'm going to spend my time kind of really trying to look at a book, it's going to be Indian horror. Yeah, that's one of my problems too. Is I, I really like to get into the indie stuff. Um, that's why I still have a co-host for a live episode. Paul comes on every Thursday to kind of keep me abreast of what's going on in mainstream uh, Marvel and DC comics. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, very cool. Yeah, it's just too hard to get. You know, I'm trying to keep up with movies, TV, video games, and run a, you know, have my regular business and, uh, you know, own a Greyhound and stay married. So staying up on everything is kind of hard to do. <laughs> that's like the last thing you need to do, brother, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so now when you were, when you're doing your, going through comics, did you get into any other stuff? I mean, were you reading any, like, you know, French sci-fi comics? Did you get into anime at any point or manga? What are some other areas of geekdom you're into? Um, I did get into manga, and I think just uh, <laughs> maybe being Japanese helped a little bit. I don't know. Uh, because when I went to Japan for the first time, um, I was uh, 14 or 15. And um, by this time... Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reading comics, but literally, like I said, I'm, I'm reading a lot of uh, Neil Adams continuity stuff, um, Samurai by Barry Blair. Um, and uh, was I reading anything else? Maybe some Cerebus at that time. Um, but when I went to Japan and realized that every relative I visited had a bookcase, whether large or small, that was dedicated to comic books, to Japanese manga, I it just sort of blew my mind. Like, up till then, I had sort of really only seen comic books as uh, something that kids or, you know, adolescents and young adults kind of were into, but not something that adults really made the time to read. Um, and I remember how much an of an impression that left in my head because I was like, you know, um, I had no idea that there was this larger market that could sustain itself in a way that the American market hasn't quite yet hit. Um, and, uh, I remember ever since then, it was like, I, I would love to do a comic and have it sell somewhere in Japan. Um, because I knew that at that point, maybe I would be, be able to make a living doing comic books, if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. Now, in Japan, and I may be wrong here, because I really haven't read up on it or thought about it much since the 90s, and since some friends of mine lived in uh, uh, Japan for a couple years. But the comic books over there are very usually are released in large phone book-sized editions on a weekly basis by the major studios there, right? Correct. Um, yeah. What you have is you have these um, certain teams, basically, um, that are project managed, and they could be independent studios, and they um, they work on the manga for however months they're working, and then it is printed in this digest form, um, broken down, serialized. Maybe you get 20 pages of a certain manga every month. Um, and what happens is there is a large the the demographic of, of that is actually taking public transportation is something that <laughs> living in Southern California we could really never um, kind of comprehend because we're such a sort of um, car community here but um, 
to see that everyone on these subways and these public trains and buses are reading, and a lot of them are reading comics, it's like you can see where it would completely support itself. So what happens is those come out on a weekly basis, and once the run is done, they're then collected into the smaller manga digest, which is you know maybe about 180 to 250 pages. Um, but it is amazing to go into a comic shop over there because it is... Um, I have never seen a small comic shop over there, Jeremy. Right. Um, the smallest one I've been into was a neighborhood comic shop, and it was all geared towards selling used manga. So this small shop was able to support itself by buying books back and then reselling them, sort of like the UCD market would work um, here. But um, And then when you went into the shops that specialized in new material, these things were like two, three stories. Um, and what blew my mind was that it wasn't just um, the male demographic that was in there. It was an equal amount of women and men checking out comic books. Well, yeah, and I was just going to bring that up. It's like everybody reads comics, and then on top of that, there's all sorts of crazy genres for every type of comic reader within, not just male to female, but they have an entire uh, genre of comics in Japan where it's about young young men and their relationships with each other for girls who want to read romance stories but don't want to feel like another girl is swiping their dude. Exactly. You know, it's 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 crazy to me the amount of depth and difference and just the, the depth and breadth of genres that exist over there. You know, because you have, you know, Sailor Moon isn't just a thing. It's it's typical of a genre. It's the, the what do they call that, the Magical Girl series? Okay, yes. Yeah, and so you have an entire thing where it's about teams of girls with similar powers and similar uniforms, you know? And, you know, uh, martial arts comics are huge. And it's yeah. just all the way across the board. It's whatever you want, there is a mix of it. You know, whether it's weird, comedic, uh, uh, sex comedy, martial arts story like Ranma, or, you know, whatever you want to get into. I've always been amazed by the amount of depth and breadth that the Japanese comic market gets into. Yes, and then, like, the last few times I've been there, I've actually been um, trying to look for indie comics over there, and there is a, a thriving indie community over there, too. Um and so it was inspiring to see that, too, because I'm hoping one day that maybe I can take some of the comic projects that are on snugcomics.com and maybe market them over there somehow. Um, well, now, do you, do you speak, read, and write Japanese, or are you, uh, are you a polyglot or whatever they call that? Are you... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm totally fine on my own there. Um, I, I couldn't negotiate a business contract for you over there, but I could I could definitely get you from city to city. No but problem. yeah, so you could get around. The reason I'm asking is that could you take your own books and translate them from English to Japanese? I mean, um, now I realize there are three different writing systems in Japan, so that's not really a straightforward, simple question. But we actually tried to do that um, in 2010 um, when. 
Justice Arts was first releasing Project 17 and Issue 1 of Pink Power, which were our first two actual physical comics, it was um, pretty much myself and Zen and uh, a graphic designer named Jamelin Parks, who's was just really awesome and was able to just get a lot of stuff done for us on the fly, thank God. Um, when we put those books out, um, I had purposely wanted them put out at what we here would consider ash can size. But the reason being was because I wanted something that was really easy to transport in my suitcase when I would go to Japan. And for about a year and a half, I just went to every comic shop that I could think of over there and dropped off product. And um, my cousin, who was very into the um, kind of underground scene, the T-shirt um, production scene, um, he kind of took me to different venues and different shows where they would release these um, limited edition T-shirts and whatnot, and I would kind of push my comics and books there. But uh, yes, originally when we were releasing comics, we wanted to break into the Asian market somehow. Um, and by giving them a smaller sample size, physical book size, it would be much closer to what the actual manga digest size would be. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, well, let me ask you this then. So at what point did you decide, hey, I'm going to go ahead and start making, I don't know if it started with web comics or physical comics, but at what point did you say, hey, I'm going to start making comics now? That was definitely um, 2007-ish. Um, I was uh, a friend of mine had a comic book store uh, in Lakewood um, called RVD's Five Star Comics. Uh, my buddy Rob Van Dam was cool enough to give me a job while I was kind of out of work during this time. And uh, while I was there, I met two really creative guys um, that are finally now getting their kind of this definitely getting their time. Um, Joshua Williamson, who I think is writing The Flash on a regular basis now, and uh, Zen over at HCMP. Like I said, he just got the uh, full-time lettering gig for Aspen. They were managing this store at the time, and um, I had asked Zen if he'd like to help me with some stories that I just hadn't been able to quite get out. Um, and previous to this, um, in the 90s, I had worked with Jim Valentino over at Shadowline Comics. Um, he had me in his office doing just about everything, um, which was great because I got to see how he worked and how his teams worked and how they dealt with the independent creators um, and how they dealt with Diamond and how they dealt with Wizard Magazine at that time and um, everything that I do now to produce comics whether online or whether physical form it's just stuff that I learned from working at Shadowline um, so I was pretty lucky in that sense um, but in 2007 when I had asked Zen to take on this project called Project 17 that just been in my head for years and I couldn't get it out right um, yeah he came up with a great script and uh, we hashed it out for a couple years until we found an artist, um, Aditya Wardhana. He goes by Adwar. He is in um, Indonesia, and his full-time gig is doing um, art for heavy metal and 
death metal band uh, CD covers and posters. So he was perfect to do like this monster story for us. Um, and so in 2010, we were finally able to release uh, the first print of Project 17. Um, and so it'll now in 2016, I'll be reprinting it again. Finally, it'll be in its uh, sixth printing um, coming this April, which is pretty cool. Um, but that was the that was the first time that we had released physical comics. And then from there, um, I kind of saw how web comics were really working for people. And again, credit to Zen for this. He really pushed me to look at web comics because I was not really I was not really into the idea of reading something um, digitally. I still can't read on a Kindle. I like a physical book. Mm -hmm. So, but when I finally took the time to like look at web comics, I was like, "Holy cow! There is this, there is this universe of just amazingly entertaining and wonderful comics out here." Um, I would like to have my stuff floating around in the same universe too. Um, and hopefully someone would find it entertaining. Um, but yeah, it literally, Jeremy, it wasn't until maybe like three, four years ago where I finally gave in to saying, okay, hell, let's let's do web comics then, you know. Right on. Well, then you must have found some success with it because it looks like you also have a couple lines that are just web comics. Um, yeah, basically everything yeah. that um, I do right now is a web comic, um, and I have. One more project coming out, um, a collaboration with another podcaster named uh, Daniel Morrow, a um, horror book called Meat Farm. Um, but, yeah, most of them have all been collaborations with um, myself and some of my friends in some way. Um, and then I've been able to either um, use different software and photography <laughs> manipulation to do the art myself or I've been lucky enough to find artists such as um, uh, the artist um, P.R. Didelis, who did Action Hero Mandy for me. Um, I, I was really entertained by the episode that you had um, back on December 14th with the um, Sasquatch creator, um, just because he really got real about like look there's cost to putting together a comic book that you have to think about and um and these people have to be paid for their work so um yeah it whenever i find an artist that i'm able to <laughs> afford and also work with um it's really a godsend so um most of the collaborations in there have been artists that i have found on either DeviantArt or uh comicartcommissions.com Oh, Comic Art Commissions. That's not one I've dealt with yet. Um, I actually used DeviantArt when um, I needed an original character drawn up for a um, a postcard I wanted to do to send out to people, let them know about the podcast at one point. So I just put it up real quick. I said, hey, $25. Whoever can give me a character that looks like, you know, this. And whoever, whoever comes closest to the... Um, Batman animated look. That's what I'm shooting for. And I got probably 200 responses in 25 minutes. That's awesome. And yeah, I, I went through. Now, it was, here's the thing. So it was the middle of the night, and there was a lot of people in Indonesia and Southeast Asia, places like that, because 
they're on the other side of the planet, so they're exactly sure. the opposite time of day. Um, you know, the first 50 I looked at were all anime-style art, and I'm like, you know, you guys didn't even read what I put in here, so, you know, right out the window, right out the window, right out the window. About the 100th one I opened was a finished piece of art already what I was looking for. So I pulled that aside and kept going through, came back to that one. I don't know what 25 bucks is worth, 25 American is worth in Indonesia, but it seemed like from that response, it, it must it must go to at least a couple dinners. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, the U.S. dollar conversion over in a place like Indonesia is definitely going to benefit a, a family much more than it will benefit a family here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I um, I have no problem like looking for good artists overseas. Oh, no. that, you know. Well, um, it's, that's look the the American way now is to do that, right? I mean, I'd love to hire all American people, but uh, we've got a lot of things that keep us from doing that too. At the same time, <laughs> you know. I mean, I put a thing on in the middle of the night for twenty five bucks. These guys jump on it. Other people mayhem and haw. I get it. I understand. I don't do much for twenty five bucks either. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it is just uh, <laughs> first world problems for us, huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but um, but kind of the takeaway I want anybody to get from that is you have access to the entire planet's talent pool now, yes. and this has never existed before in history. And if you want to get something done with a little bit of elbow grease and a couple bucks, I don't care what it is, you can get it done. You can. And also, um, with that uh, comes the technology, too, that we have access to. Like, um, So when I decided I wanted to do the UFO story, I always look up. Um, it was my roommate, Andrew, who had told me about this weird experience he had. And I was just like, dang, that... That sounds like you definitely encountered something, brother, and he still really didn't believe. He actually uh, was on Jim Harold's podcast sharing the story, too. So, um, But that was the first piece where I said, you know, I can use technology like you um, had mentioned earlier, some of these software, design software you can use um, to create your characters for you. Um, why not take advantage of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you can make the art serviceable enough to get your point across, and uh, I say, why not? Go for it. Don't let anything hold you back. And I think that's another reason web comics are just really awesome because uh, you know, if you you can find free space to put your stuff up on, um, if you I don't, YouTube a couple of uh, basic HTML lessons, you can at least figure out like sort of how to do things, not saying you're going to make a first-class site, but, hey, you can get your medium up, um, and you can do it for not too much out of pocket. Um, so it got to the point where, um, not saying that my art is awesome, but it, it, people were saying it was serviceable, so I felt it was serviceable. The only thing I had to learn was lettering. And um, I love the fact that lettering has come up on your show so many times because it is something that so many people forget about. Even me, I thought like, oh, I could do this because I can, I can use Illustrator and Photoshop. But um, 
it's still a learning process, you know, like uh, the first one I lettered was always look up and kind of cheated my way around in there. I consulted with Jim Valentino and and David Campiti over at Glasshouse uh, Graphics and asked them, hey, what what do you think? Um, But the first time really trying lettering in a comic, it's tough. Uh, You could see the sort of uh, design (laughs) choices I used in Action Hero Mandy from the first page to the last page posted. Um, And even, gosh, even in the last page, there's things I want to go back and recreate or redo. Um, But everything that I've tried to learn and tried to ask people about and uh, have, um, again, picked Zen's brain over at HCMP about lettering, it's still a learning process, and so what I'm doing for Kindred now is just trying to <laughs> utilize everything that I've learned in the past lettering projects, and it's still a learning process every day. There is still things that I go back and say, oh, my gosh, that's god-awful. I need to uh, change that before I release the physical book, you know? But, um, but again, it all comes down to what some of your guests have spoken about, too. It comes down to cost. If you could do as many things as you can in-house and you can hopefully – make it not be an eyesore then at least go for it try it right yeah i i can tell you the one two different people on three different occasions because they're independent episodes and the one they did together they said do if you're going to cut corners and cut back on costs don't do it on lettering yeah i agree yeah because for those of us who who may not have a design background we just think of letters as letters but when you're doing a comic book, letters are very much a part of the illustration. Absolutely. It can, um, I find for me, it, it helps me set up the flow of the rest of the art. Um, I, you know, I've actually changed some of the background based on like how the dialogue starts to flow. Um, and thank God we live in a digital world where we can do that now. Um, but, if this were comic book production that happened just one generation ago where everything was paced up, um, there's there's no way I'd be able to do this. Oh, um, yeah. I remember guys using razor blades to scrape dried ink off of vellum to go back and redo things. Yeah. Yeah. So i got to ask you something. You, you've you've name-dropped a couple people here. Um, you know Rob Van Dam. Um, we... Yeah, we met originally at a, a UPW show. Uh, and I got to give someone else props here, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joshua Waldrop, uh, better known as UPW Josh and SoCal Franchise, uh, he does um, a comedy show in Anaheim um, at the Dollhouse. Um, his company is called uh, Red Gorilla. And uh, he really helped inspire me and kept me going, too. Uh, but I met... Rob Van Dam and Josh at the same time, probably the same day, um, I had gotten a gig as a production assistant for a uh, indie wrestling outfit called UPW. And, um, yeah, RVD happened to be there uh, watching one of his buddies do some work and uh, ended up talking with them and, um, yeah, and uh, helped him out with his book called Twisted Perception. Went through a couple different makeovers, but the last makeover that um, his team did looked really, really cool. Cool. But, so are you a wrestling fan then? 
Oh, uh, yeah. I, okay. I like wrestling a lot. Now, let me ask you this. Are you a Japanese wrestling fan? Um, yes, although I am not up to date on most of the new guys. No sweat. Did you ever notice that uh, Hulk Hogan could actually fire off an Enzugiri in Japan but can't do anything in the States? I think what happened with Hogan in the States was he just did what he had to do to make his money. Does that make sense? It's sort of like um, you work at a job long enough, you're going to cut corners. Um, I have no idea why over there he was able to pull off a lot more things. It's like, oh, wow, like you're right, the Insiguri. He used the abdominal stretch a whole lot more. His finishing move over there was that... uh, that what did they call it the axe bomber it was like his version of stan hansen's lariat oh really see Um, that i didn't know um i i've always found it weird too that that the lariat could be a finishing maneuver when everybody uses it in a well everybody uses a clothesline as just part of the match yeah unfortunately huh it's sort of like the super kick man that's no longer a finishing move either no and i'm a big wccw fan Oh, <laughs> awesome! Yeah, so so for me, the Chris Adams super kick was the so move. Best. Yeah, yes, that was the thing back in the day. Yeah, um, wow, WCCW that was um, syndicated on. I can't even remember what channel it was. It was before cable, and I remember like waking up on Sundays and watching that and. Um, it was so different from the WWF product at the time. Um, it was just so much more inspiring to see these guys fight or put on a performance that looked like a real fight, you know? Yep. That was a thing I always liked better about Southern wrestling companies. Is those guys looked like they were beating the living shit out of each other. Holy cow, yeah. yeah. And, you know, like, up till then, like... Uh, up till I don't know, I guess before cable, like my only experience with with learning about these southern wrestlers, um, or even let's say the NWA or the AWA, um, was through Pro Wrestling Illustrated, right? And you're yep. looking at these guys, and you're like, wow, these guys look like badasses. I can't, I want to see these guys on TV. So yeah, it was uh, WCCW was the first wrestling product I saw uh, after WWF. Yeah, I was a big I was a big AWA guy because I discovered them both uh, WWF and AWA at the same time. Oh wow! And so you you saw the Road Warriors, the real Road Warriors. Yes, yeah. And people may complain about them, but I always love a monster. Well, like Goldberg, you okay. show me a, one guy. I I don't want more than one person or one team doing this. I don't care if they no sell it. Put them in there, let them beat ass, and get a pin in ninety seconds. I'm actually kind of stoked to see it. Okay. But the rest of the time, I want technical wrestling. So what do you think of the current booking of Goldberg? Um, you know what? Here's the thing. So I won't watch anything Vince McMahon does. Oh, okay. Um, I have not watched a match in a very long time, except that I did go find it on YouTube when they had Goldberg come back in and win. I think it shows how poorly they're handling their product that they had to bring in a 50-year-old man who hadn't wrestled in 12 years. <laughs> And and let him do squash matches to get their title, you know. Uh, I I completely agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The um. I'm not really familiar with the current stars at let's say um, New Japan or All Japan Wrestling, but um, 
some of the guys that have come over and have wrestled for uh, pro wrestling gorilla mm-hmm. um, down here in Southern California. Some of these guys from Dragon Gate. Holy cow. Um, some really entertaining, like, you know, uh, hard style, but not. Not so stiff where you're like, my gosh, the two, why are you really taking that just for our entertainment's sake, you know? Um, but yeah, I think like uh, some of the stuff that New Japan Pro Wrestling has been putting out um, has been really, really entertaining. Yeah, and see, I'm gonna, I'm going to, because I found out they are translating some New Japan stuff into English and releasing it now. Um, so I'm going to try to get more into that. I do like that stiffer stuff. Well, WCCW, you know, those Von Erich guys kicked the shit out of the guys they wrestled. Holy cow. If you go back and you watch, you'll see them just land a full foot kick right on somebody's head. Uh, <laughs> you know, easy to do when your dad runs the company, I'm sure. But uh, uh, I, I could do. Could you imagine, though, that environment in the sportatorium? That would have been awesome, man. To well, you know, it's, that. here's the thing. So I listened to a couple old school wrestling podcasts. Okay, and I, I don't I don't watch wrestling now because it hasn't been entertaining to me since the not even the end of the Monday Night Wars because the Monday Night Wars actually ended about a year and a half before they stopped. Okay, um, but I I watch some of these older matches and you watch like the Rock and Roll Express come to the ring or the yeah. Von Erichs and you know what you notice you notice that two thirds of that audience is girls. Yeah, that's true, man, and they're screaming their heads off. Yeah, and. When you watch wrestling now, it's like the dudes from Best Buy are there watching it. <laughs> Which, no, you know, and I don't want to knock it in that, in that, you know, those are the people who are enjoying it. But, you know, you used to be able to get, like, the whole town to come because the girls went there to maybe try to hook up with the wrestler and the dudes, like, went to maybe hook up with the girl who couldn't hook up with the wrestler. <laughs> and there was, like, this whole thing going. And now... You know, they say, you know, the WWE has its most profitable year, but shit, only 10% of the people that used to watch it numbers-wise are watching it now. Oh, right, right. So, I mean, you know, yeah, Vince Vince kind of dominated the, the nationalization or even globalization of American wrestling, but he did it by giving up 90% of the audience, and, you know, now it's even a nerdier thing to be into than it used to be. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, huh? Yeah. I, I noticed that, like, um, yeah, before when I would work in an office, you would hear those water cooler conversations about wrestling. And now, like, you don't really hear too many people. You hear kids talking about it. You know, they want to talk about John Cena. But uh, Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting that you brought up the idea of uh, the small town wrestling um, and how people would go out. I sort of feel that way about the conventions that are being held in small towns. Um, for example, the last show that I did was in Bakersfield. And honestly, Jeremy, that was the best show that I've done in probably like three years. Um, oh, yeah. And, I, I um, really like small comic conventions. Yeah. And I think that there's definitely a way to um, to get your product out to people that way at these small shows, too. Because, like, the larger shows, there are more people that will walk by. Mm-hmm. So when you're at the small show, I notice that everybody will stop. Well, you know, um, and, and I usually do this as a question to people, but I'm just going to put myself in the role. I'm a salesman. That's my normal day-to-day job is sales. 
And I know nothing gets done until I shake a hand, slap somebody on the back, make a promise, make make person-to-person contact, learn somebody's name. Right. And I think that's kind of the deal too. When you got a smaller comic company, man, you got to get out there. You got to interact with the people. You got to give them a reason to give a damn by showing them that you give a damn. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think that a lot of people kind of forget about that. Like I kind of <laughs> got jaded with doing shows uh, just because they ended up just being sort of a muddy pits. Yes, yeah. um, they were and. Don't get me wrong, they're like fun to see friends and and whatever, but man, if unless you are just like really disciplined with your with the small funds that you might have coming in from your merchandise at this show, um, it, it might just go right out again for dinner or for a couple drinks with your buddies or for parking for that matter, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I know um, exactly what you mean. My son is um a really talented artist, and he started getting tables at the local uh, comic shows. Sure. But a lot of what he does is real dark and moody, and I keep telling okay. him, I'm, hey, man, do a bright-colored Pokemon or The Flash or, you know, something. You know, Star Trek The Next Generation, something somebody can spot from across the room and come check out. Then yeah. hit them with your dark, moody shit, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, at these small shows, um, like you were saying, it is, it's much easier to interact with the people. And like you had mentioned, yes, you have to interact with them. Otherwise, they're going to go to the artist that is working on something they're familiar with. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, that guy's, he's drawing Spider-Man. Even if he has nothing to do with Spider-Man, hey, he's drawing Spider-Man. Let's go talk to him. Um, <clears throat> so at Bakersfield, I noticed that maybe, I would see the same person walk around three or four times, but maybe on that fifth time, they're going to stop because they've already seen everything else. So even if I'm just like, hey, that's like the last table that I need to check out. But guess what? Like if I have a chance to turn on someone to my product or to one of my stories or at least get them to check out the website, it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Todd, we are running up on time, but before I even get into that, let me just say it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Please make sure you put me on your media list. Let me know when you have news updates and things going out. I will help get the word out as much as I can. Absolutely. Um, also, feel free anytime you got something coming up. Let me know uh, if you want to come back on. Just let me know. I'm sure we can find something to talk about. I don't. It doesn't seem like we'd have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, like fun. yeah. In the meantime, uh, Todd Tochioka from Snug Comics. I, I hear you are a what? What is it? You're an editor. <laughs> What's your TYB? Oh, uh, yeah, I kind of go by editor and attempt. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, I, man, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. There, there you go. But uh, people can find Snug Comics at? Uh, snugcomics.com um, would probably be the easiest place. If you're also on Twitter, find me at, at Snugwork. Okay, and are you on Facebook as well? Uh, there is a... Snug Comics at Facebook thing too. Uh, I'm not there very often. No problem. I'll tell you what we'll do then is we'll get all your your uh, your links and we'll put them in the text at geekishcast.com when it's time. Cool. All Appreciate right. it. Yeah, no problem at all. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, just thanks a lot. And again, thanks to uh, David and Juliet and Ray and Jamie Bernadette for making this uh project goes so smooth so uh, smoothly and this has been a lot of fun awesome and when is the uh kindred homecomings coming out 
Uh, we'll be going to the printer with it third week of April. So oh. I would have it back about five days after that. There you go, pretty quick then. All right, so guys, check them out, snugcomics.com. Todd, thank you very much for coming in. Cool, thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, and in the meantime, you can get us at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. Everybody, we'll talk to you soon. Geekishcast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zaius. Check them out at reignofzaius.net. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, any Anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.